from Studio One at the worldwide headquarters of ESPN and from Studio HD in Atlanta, Georgia, this is Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and on Sirius XM Channel 80. One of the big favorites walking into the NBA playoffs were the Phoenix Suns. And the concept was, after watching Kevin Durant play so well through the regular season, no matter where he was, and watching this team gel together so quickly, that that would lead to playoff dominance. The Clippers had another outcome in mind, and now the Suns find themselves with their backs up against the wall. It's Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And it's funny, Harry, earlier I said... You know, I I still want to see what Game 3 looks like before I make any sweeping statement about Sacramento, for example. You know, we got to see him win at Golden State. We know that's part of the process. I've told you a million times that, you know, depending on what we find out from John Moran's health, I'm okay. Like, I I said the Lakers would lose lose that series. I'm okay. I can look across the board. The Bucks may not have Giannis. That's, uh, they'll be fine. Like, I can, even me, even Keel me, is looking at most of this saying, eh, it's going to be just fine. The one that makes me a little nervous is what we saw from the Clippers against the Suns and what it could mean. Because I feel like the Suns go into an 0-2 hole here. It is not going to be easy to dig their way out. No, I agree 100%. And I think a part of that is because of a guy named Kawhi Leonard. And what he was able to do on a basketball court in game one, 38 points, but I think it was the magnitude of points being scored in certain moments in that ball game. It reminded me of the, of the Kawhi from the Toronto days when he led that team to an NBA championships. You're talking about it got down the stretch. Him and Kevin Durant was going back and forth. Kawhi was getting the ball in a sweet spot. He was making the right play, whether it was scoring baskets, shooting mid-range jump shots, shooting three-pointers, or delivering the basketball to his teammates. And I thought Ty Lue really made it a point of emphasis to make sure uh, – excuse me, Kawhi was the center of everything that they were doing offensively down the stretch, something that the Phoenix Suns and Monty Williams and Kevin Durant did not do, and that kind of made a little difference in that ball game down down, down the stretch. Well, you're not the only one that's seeing this, uh, obviously. Brian Windhorst, ESPN NBA insider, was on the Hoop Collective podcast. This is what he said about Kawhi returning to form. He never looked tired to me. I saw Kawhi play when he first came back from his injury. He'd been back maybe a week or two in January, and I didn't think that he looked very good. And I said so on television. I said, I just mm-hmm. don't think he looks right to me, even though he'd had some good games. I watched him move, and you know, just my personal opinion, he didn't look right to me, for which people thought I was crazy because he was putting up good games or had put up a couple of good games. Well, let me tell you, I know this is not a hot take. He sure as heck looks right to me now that's a big part of this it's uh, we'll use the the phrase you and i laugh about in the college football uh, landscape all the time the eye test right i i expected without paul george for there to be this just burden on Kawhi and the clippers and their ability to get this done against a roster that uh, you know we all know has some depth issues but has four superstars when you go four wide you don't need depth that's the concept well, they did in game one because the Clippers just had a spark to him. KD had a, I don't know, indifference to him. Kawhi didn't. And at some point, I don't want to oversimplify here, Harry, but like it feels like one star came out and said, I will not be denied. And another star came out and said, I just got to get a feel for this thing. And it was the difference in the whole game. Like tonight, all eyes are going to be on how they fix that. 
Right, and I will say this, right? Kawhi has been on the Clippers for a few years now, so those guys understand that he is the guy. Kevin Durant just got to the Phoenix Suns, but what Kevin Durant has to understand, I don't care who was on that basketball team before you got there. You are the super, 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 superstar. You are the cheat code in the National Basketball Association, so go get the basketball no matter what. I don't even care what play is called. You're Kevin Durant. Put it on your shoulders and make sure you have that mindset moving forward. I think another thing that we're, that, that's underrated in this series, especially in game one, is that the Clippers got two players, right? They got Russell Westbrook, but then they got Eric Gordon via trade. Those two guys, even though Russ only had nine points and he didn't shoot efficiently, he had 11 rebounds, eight assists. And the second chance offensive rebounds that he was getting, he had five of them in that game, and some of them came late, was very valuable to their win and their success. But also Eric Gordon having 19 points, going shooting 50% from the field. I don't want people to let that go underrated because that was a trait that the Clippers were able to win and it came up huge in game one. It speaks to the the depth conversation of it that I've rolled my eyes at. And I'm the first to admit that. Every time the Clippers have been in a situation late in the season where they're looking at the playoffs, the constant conversation is, well, they've got the best coach and they've got the most depth and it's going to pay dividends. And then it never does, right? Like Because I, yep. I sometimes feel like the NBA is so star-driven that if the best of the best show up, the depth doesn't really play that big a part. Until it does. When you've got depth playing as well as that that happened, like that's the thing that Phoenix couldn't match. So now you've got two sides of this. Some of the other guys, let's call them that, are playing at an incredibly high level in the same game where Kawhi plays at the high level and the same game where KD just disappears for five minutes down the stretch. There's got to be a response from Phoenix tonight. And I think what I'm looking for from Phoenix particularly is an aggressiveness, but also an intention. Like, how are they intending to get the ball into KD and do something around the traps and the double teams and the triple teams and the quadruple teams? And what are they going to do to make sure that somebody else can take advantage of it? What's what we talked about for a month is that whether it's Booker or whether it's CP3 or whether it's Aiton. Stop right there. You stop right there, right in your tracks. And I'm glad you brought him up. Because, see, Chris Paul had a phenomenal game from a rebounding standpoint, from a facilitating standpoint, but Chris Paul can't shoot two for eight, two for eight from the field and have seven points. Chris Paul's going to have to be in double digits. He's going to have to play well if this Phoenix Suns basketball team wants to advance, but not only advance, if they want to have a shot at winning the NBA title. Chris Paul has to play well. And I had to highlight the other things because he rebounded well and he facilitated, had, had 10 assists. But when they need you to score and you take those opportunities, you can't be two for eight. You have to be five for eight or six for eight. You got to be more efficient within your field goal percentage because you need those points because of the lack of what you do have on the bench. Yeah, well, and to that point, I mean, the bench provided them quick math here. Ten points total. The Suns got ten points from their bench. So if that's the reality you're going to live in, then while we sometimes look at these situations and say, okay, well, look at their balance. 27 from KD, 18 from Aiton, 26 from, from Booker. You can say, look at that balance. That's not going to win this series. Like, that is not impressive enough to win this series. So if you're not going to get anything at all from your bench, then your guys are all going to have to be better. And even even Aiton, who I think I've put, you know, maybe too much pressure on at times, 8 of 16 from the field, 
his efficiency is something that's supposed to win, right? Like he's supposed to be efficient and be a problem. He, he just wasn't, right? So th- this is that moment where I think it's the first time where I looked at it and said, okay, what are we doing and how are you going to fix it? Because uh, Chris Paul shouldn't be your leading rebounder in a game. No, but but, I, but I'll tell you this. I, I, I would take uh, eight for 16 from, from DeAndre Aiden. That's 50% from the floor. I'll take that. I just don't think Chris Paul – cannot be in double digits. Chris Paul can't have seven points. He's going to have to score the basketball mid-range, shooting threes. He's going to have to hit his shots. I would take 50% from DeAndre Ayton. But Chris Paul, Chris Paul can't be in single digits anywhere near him on this playoff run and think this team is going to be able to win games. Well, and usually I'm not saying 50% isn't good. I think Ayton has such an ability to just take advantage of terrible mismatches. He can be yeah. better. I also look at the fact that, frankly – uh, you know, even if you look at the the number of shots put up, like uh, 82 field goal attempts for Phoenix versus what 90, 93, uh, you know, uh, for the Clippers. So offensive rebounding, it, it, it's huge. It's they, huge. Uh, they they allow Fitz. I got to go back to it really quick. The Phoenix Suns allowed 15 offensive rebounds mm-hmm. in that game. Uh, it's it's hard to score more points than the opposing team, and then they still were they were still in the game. That that's that's the crazy part about it. They were still in the game, but down the stretch when it mattered the most, they kept allowing offensive rebound after offensive rebound. And you can't do that if you want to beat a team like the Los Angeles Clippers. Which speaks to some of what what Windhorst just said. You know, when he was talking about the fact that Kawhi doesn't look tired, he looks like he has an extra pep in his step. I thought it was interesting that the the Clippers looked like they had a better. I don't know, turbo button. They had a better hustle. They had a better energy at the end of that game than Phoenix did. And that's KD down. Like, you know, passive is passive. And you can't be passive in the playoffs in the NBA wow. and win games. And it felt like KD and the Suns as a whole were too passive. I think the most interesting thing we're going to look for tonight is can Phoenix come out with a different fire in their belly? Ooh, but Fitz, listen, I'm going to put my bifocals on. I'm going to put my goggles on, oh. my glasses. Oh, yeah, yeah. Even though I don't have none, but I'm going to mm-hmm. pretend I have some. In all eyes are going to be on that game at 10 p.m. Eastern time on TNT. Because I'm locked in. I want to see how the Phoenix Suns are going to respond. But also, I want to see how Kawhi Leonard going to follow up after having that 38. I mean, and I ain't ooh, after that thirty-eight. We gotta talk about these ten p.m. starts. So, like, I get up early to go to the gym. Like, ten p.m. is late, you know. Like, I well, was, it, I, I struggled last night because I had to get up at four forty-five. That's the time I get up when I got to do get up and stuff. Mm-hmm. Whew. Gonna have it's to work okay. on that. I'll be all right. Yeah, well, uh, you right. know, maybe the right. NBA could just like help Fitz and Harry out a little bit. All right, the more things change, the more they stay the same. For one superstar, we'll explain next. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. Jason Fitz and Harry Douglas are Fitz and Harry. Man, they, they ticked you off, huh? I mean, they ticked you off, my man. I, that, that, I'm just saying, like, like, we make these things so complicated. Like, uh, but I, I love the fact you said it with your chest, too. Like, you, you said it with your chest. You know what? I'm out here. I'm just out. I'm, <laughs> oh, oh, my God. I'm out in these streets now. That's what's happening. I'm out, well, these, I'm out here. He said, I'm out here. Oh, I'm, my God. I I'm see out in these streets. Please I clip see that you, off. Fitz. Evan and Devin, please clip that off. Please. I mean, I don't know. Still felt pretty 
cool coming from me. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All right, let's get some expertise. This is a big week across Major League Baseball. In fact, MLB Network has the entire Angels-Yankees series starts tonight. Shohei and Aaron Judge. You can watch uh, Ryan Dempster going to be uh, hosting Intentional Talk Wednesday, weekdays sorry, at 5 p.m. Ryan joins us now. We wanted to get some expertise on all things baseball. Uh, obviously, MLB Network analyst, two-time All-Star, uh, 2013 World Series champion. Those are all incredible things. But I got to start with the, the, the craziest part of this is I found out you just ran the Boston Marathon. Uh, we'll get to the serious side of it. But first, how are your legs the day after running the marathon? Did you run the full? Yeah, all 26.2 miles of it. Okay, how, um, how are your legs yeah, they're, feeling? They're sore. Oof. They're sore, really sore today. And I got on the plane and flew from Boston back to Chicago this morning, just landed. So it is uh, it is a recovery couple days here coming up, and uh, it, was, uh, it was physically taxing, I will say that. It was pretty special, though. Well, a little cold tub action, Epsom salt, you know, peroxide, alcohol mixed in, some dry needle and massaging. Is is that the recovery still? Is that the recovery? I like I like all of those things. Yeah, some some hot cold tub, get that roller going. I got some body work getting massage going. There you go. Um, it's it, it's crazy. It is really amazing, you know, what your body has to go through to run a marathon. So all these people who went out there yesterday and run it, and then you see like you know, I ran four forty two was my time and then you see the guy who wins it and you know is two minutes or two hours and 30 minutes faster it's like or 37 minutes faster it's crazy to think that they're running it in that amount of time it is it is a challenging run it's something else well obviously it was a particularly uh heartfelt and emotional moment you ran the marathon 10 years after you were starting pitcher for the red sox on patriots day what was it like just that experience and everything you've been through with that city and what that meant yeah, it was, it was, it was extremely emotional. Um, you know, inspiring. I was running for Ling Z Lou who lost her life that day in the bombing. So I ran for the Ling Z foundation. Um, and I had a collection, my wife and friends and a collection of my 2013 teammates were there. We had a big 10 year anniversary. So everybody was in town and coming across that finish line and looking up to all, all of them sitting there in the grandstand cheering us on and, um, Brock Holt, uh, who was with us a little bit in 2013, and then, of course, won again in 2018. He ran it. Um, it was just – it really was that because it was an emotional year. You know, I played one year in Boston. I feel like I played 10. That that town is something else. They are great people. They're ferocious. They don't, you know, they don't quit. They they support each other, and, and it came through when we were playing, and it continues to come through this day. It was just so so special. I'm so glad I did it, and – um, and, uh, you know, just, just thankful for that opportunity. So today marks 100 years to the day that Hall of Famer Babe Ruth hit his first home run at Yankee Stadium in 1923. Pretty cool with Otani playing in New York this week as well. What comes to mind when you see Shohei Otani play? I, I honestly, like a little bit of disbelief that somebody's able to do what he's, he's doing. Um, I know how hard it is to pitch every fifth day in the big leagues. Um, and I know how hard it is to hit. If you look at my career average, you'll get that it's very, very hard to hit the baseball. Um, and then he's doing both at not just like, you know, good at one, great at the other, or great, you know, really good at both. He is dominating at both. He is, on the, when he's on the mound, he, he is, you know, must watch TV. And when he's at the plate, he's must watch TV. And he's doing both in the same game. And 
um, we're truly seeing a you know a generational talent, a transcendent type of player. Like he's he's revolutionizing the game. There's teams now all wondering, man, well we should get guys who can do both, and that's going to be what the new chase is. The the new dream is to be Shohei Otani, and and he handles it all so well, and uh, you know he's a great kid, and so like you know, to see what he's doing is pretty awesome. And then now they're in New York, him and Aaron Judge, like. That, what a show. That's like if that's the ticket in town in New York City this weekend. Uh, by the way, just the thought of going to your scouts and being like, hey, just find us a show. Hey, okay, I'll get right on that. No worries. Uh, all right. But the other <laughs> side of this is that the Angels haven't been able to really take any advantage of uh, not just Otani, but also Trout. Why? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I, sometimes it's hard when you have two massive superstars like that. You know, I think having a player who can really take that heat off him, even if he's not the highest of performing players, but maybe he's a great glue guy can really help. But um, I think, I think Phil Nevin getting the chance to manage the team for the first time and really, you know, from the beginning of the season, maybe can help harvest that a little bit. Um, I think that their pitching is better than it's been in the past few years all around. So, um, but they, they definitely have some pieces that need to get better. Um, you got a young kid at shortstop. You got a young kid behind the plate who, by the way, is a total stud. So, there's some development pieces there that will have to take place, but yeah, you, you look at it and go, oh man, you got the two best, two of the best players in baseball, or you know, top five players in baseball on your team. Why are you winning? You know, that just shows you that that's not necessarily what it's all about. Um, but if I was running a team, I would definitely want both those guys on my roster because they are great baseball players. So the disappointing thing is that we will not see Garrett Cole in this series versus the Angels, but he's off to an unbelievable start this season. Tied for first in wins, also tied for second in strikeouts. What has been the biggest difference for Cole in your eyes this season? Yeah, well, I mean, he's just – he came in so prepared. You know, sometimes guys are trying to find their way out of spring training. They're, you know, still working through maybe some kinks or, you know, once you start the season back up and spring training goes, and how am I with my – mechanics he everything's firing on all cylinders you know and he's just really established himself as one of the elite pitchers in this game I mean from where he was at in Pittsburgh and then going to Houston and getting with a pitching coach who could really kind of find a place where where you know fits him to get the best out of him and he's definitely found that I mean every time he goes out there you know for the most part every guy has a couple clunkers during the year um and Garrett Cole doesn't have many of them he it's wind day when he's on the mound, and um, it just shows you the importance of starting pitching and having a guy that can end losing streaks, having a guy that can you know keep winning streaks going alive. So um, this guy, you know, when the Yankees signed him that big deal, I said as long as he stays healthy, this is going to be a, just a great signing because he's going to post every fifth day and be a Cy Young candidate, and he's he's proven it start and start after start this year. All right, Ryan, I got to take you off the rails and ask you a very important question here. Uh, Harry Douglas, lifelong diehard Braves fan. He's from Atlanta. It's, it's in his blood. I didn't grow up with a favorite baseball team, so this year I've adopted the Mets simply so I can try and troll Harry Douglas all year. It so far has not gotten gone well for me. Uh, at what point should I be concerned about the way this is going to play out? Because there might be wagers on the line, and I don't like losing money. Well, it's a that's a two-part kind of answer because, one, the Mets, right, having injuries and losing guys. And then, you know, you got the Braves who, I mean, this team is loaded. I think we just don't even realize how good they are. You know, talk about starting pitching. They got really, really good starting pitching. Spencer Strider, Max Fried, we saw what he did last night. Like, they have, you know, good arms, good arms in their bullpen. And then offensively, they got one of the most dynamic players in the game to start the game. 
He's played seven, 17 games this year. He scored 18 runs, and he's hitting 380 or 390. Um, he's stealing bags, and then you know you look around their lineup: Austin Riley and Matt Olson. I think the Braves, you know, could pos- possibly. Be, and I had the Mets to win the World Series start of the season, but I'm watching Ryan. Ryan, hold on, Ryan, Ryan, Ryan. Don't make him that nervous, Ryan. Don't give him all the juice. You're making him nervous and so scared right now, Ryan. He is. He is talking that That's talk. Okay, right. The nice part is, this is the greatest part, it's April. You know, they don't hand out trophies in April. It's where are you standing at the end of the year. So it's a great start, but it's also, we're not even into May yet. you got a long way to go. As somebody who just ran a marathon, I know how hard the season is, and a lot of things can happen, a lot of ups and downs, and you're going to have to keep plugging forward, and the Mets got a really good team. It's going to be a fun division to watch, I'll tell you that. But, Ryan, I will end with this. Mm. One thing I know that we won't do as the Braves unit, we won't collapse like the Mets did oh, a year ago. Come on now, come on. That's what we won't do. Ryan, this is what I deal with every day, man. Like, I don't know. I appreciate your expertise. When the Mets have taken over, we're going to have you on so you can help me trash talk Harry. That, that's, all, that's all I ask. Thanks for hanging out with us, brother. Uh- you got it, guys. Absolutely. Have a great day, all right? I'll leave that conversation for the two of you guys. You guys should hash it out <laughs> therapy or something. It'll be okay. <laughs> Thanks, yeah, We're going to need it at this point. Uh, don't, don't forget, Ryan's co-hosting Intentional Talk weekdays, 5 p.m. Eastern on MLB Network. You don't want to miss it. Plus, they've got the entire Angels-Yankees series starting tonight. Shohei, Aaron Judge, absolute great action. Uh, we really appreciate Ryan coming on and giving his expertise. He just, you know, could have trash-talked Harry a little bit. That's all I'm saying. All right. Speaking of Harry, he was on Get Up This morning there was one thing said that left his mind blown we'll react to it next but first harry's got to tell you this about granger for the ones who get it done granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions plus their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer call click granger.com or just stop by Fitz and Harry, the podcast. Harry survived no sleep. And the weight that comes with carrying get up on his shoulders as he went on there and did TV magic this morning. And I'm just, but I don't, but I don't mind, but I don't mind. It doesn't mind. I'm just sitting there, you know, post-workout. Somebody asked me uh, on Twitter after I said I work out. They asked why I don't need to lift weights to play the flute and the violin. <sighs> I'm a beacon of fitness, all right? My body's a shrine. So here I am. Uh, Why do people keep trying you like yeah, this? You know, bro? People don't realize the power. Man, my abs are about to start having abs. Um, so I'm sitting there in my kitchen after after I finished working out uh, this morning, uh, feeling all accomplished. I'm making my my usual three eggs, three pieces of, uh, of deli meat, a little bit of cheese on top, and a protein bagel on the side. Same breakfast every day. I'm making my, my healthy nutritionist gave this to me breakfast, and I'm just sitting there spreading a little of that cream cheese on the on the bagel. Just a little bit. It's a measured amount, right? Spreading that measured amount on there. Uh, it's all toasty. I'm taking my first crunchy bagel bite, and I'm, I'm just sitting there listening to Harry, Harry Douglas talk about quarterbacks, and all of a sudden, I almost changed choke on my own food because I hear Lewis Riddick, ESPN NFL analyst with you, say this. We already know that the Jets are all in on this and they're going to try and get this done, right? Right. 
But if you get to the draft and somewhere and at some point in time in that three-day weekend, this deal is still not consummated and like it continues to get pushed out. Look, you cannot build a football team constantly having your quarterback situation just hang in limbo because it's such it has such a big ripple effect on everything else that you're trying to do. So what what do they need to oh, consider? I, I don't. Th- I think there's no question that they have to consider what is going to happen at that position in the draft if they need to address it in the draft if Zach Wilson is still not a long-term option for them. Yeah, so what I'm saying is, if the deal isn't done, they have to start considering, do we need to draft a quarterback in this draft? Harry, I was stunned. I I was stunned by the whole thought. I was was just thrown off a little bit because I wanted to know, was that at 13? And he was basically saying yes at 13. But my mindset was, okay, well, who will be there at 13? If we're talking about a guy that can fill in right now, like if you want to take Hinda Hooker, if he's still there, I understand that. But Hinda Hooker's coming off of ACL. You're not going to thrust him out there to the line of fire coming off of ACL and not knowing if he's 100% healthy, right? That takes some time for guys. I know I've been through it. But but then I started thinking about, okay, maybe we're talking about guys in later rounds. Maybe, a, you know, a Jake Hayner from Fresno State, a Aid McConnell from Purdue, a Clayton Toon from Houston, or a Tanner McKee from Stanford. And he basically said, no, he's talking about right now because those guys don't solve the issue for the now, for the Jets. My thing is, I don't know if you're going to have any of these quarterbacks slide down that far. No, no, because I don't think Will Levis or Anthony Richardson gonna slide to thirteen. Even if one of those slides, like let's be real for a second. There and you are, just took Zach Wilson not too long ago at two and you missed on that one. There are two quarterbacks in this draft that you can feel comfortable day one you are starting them. Bryce Young and CJ Stroud. Anthony Richardson and Will Levis, for all the arguments that we've had, I think most people would agree that Anthony Richardson and Will Levis are are guys that are going to take a little more time. And the hard part about both of them is they need time, but they also need reps. And how you find that balance is going to be really difficult for whoever drafts them. I would not want to put Anthony Richardson or Will Levis, either one, on a Super Bowl contending team and hope that that's the person that can suddenly make me better than Buffalo. Like, that's not the right situation. So to your point, because I heard you mention all the other uh, quarterbacks, and I think uh, Lewis is responsible. That's just work for work. They can't make a difference. The only way that the Jets can get a quarterback that makes a difference is if they trade into, I think, the top three. So now all of a sudden, the real thing is like, you can't do that. You're already too committed. You went too far down this path to suddenly now start hedging your bet. At some point, I use this phrase all the time, Harry, but pot committed is like a poker phrase where you've put too much into the pot. And now, even if you don't have a good hand, you can't run from it because you can't afford it. You just got to let it play out. That's where the Jets are. If they can't get this trade pulled off, and I think they will, if they can't, they're screwed. They're not going to be able to fix any of this in the draft. Yeah, and all all of our mindsets is that the Jets are going to be able to get this deal done with the Green Bay Packers. But, you know, you got to throw those hypotheticals in there because some of these things could possibly come up, right? And let's just say it doesn't happen. I just don't think at 13 when you need more offensive line help because you have two guys coming off an injury. Now, I'm probably more high on Vera Tucker than I am Makai Becton because Makai Becton, I think, was – his injury history is a little bit longer than Vera Tucker – I'm just saying at 13, I would like to take an offensive lineman there. And then when I move to the second round and other rounds, I want to find me another offensive lineman. I don't want to have to be worried about, you know, drafting other guys at that position when I know the best thing that's feasible for our football team 
is securing our old line and making sure that's not an issue for whatever quarterback that we have uh, uh, in there this season. Especially picking at 13 because there are going to be good offensive linemen available at 13 in theory. So in theory, one of the better offensive linemen is going to be there. Either you're going offensive line to protect Aaron Rodgers or you're getting whatever other piece Aaron has told somebody in the organization he wants. Like Evan is our producer, but Evan is also a lifelong diehard Jets fan. I can neither confirm nor deny that Evan actually bleeds green when he is cut. So Evan, uh, wh- when you are when you are looking at the draft on Thursday night, and I'm sitting there with Harry Douglas, and we say with the 13th pick in the draft, the Jets have drafted, let's say, quarterback Will Levis. Your reaction would be, oh no. it would be oh no and oh we've got a great show tomorrow that would be a disaster (laughs) i i also said this like i said this the middle of last season though like the jets can't go into next season with another young quarterback this team is too ready to win now that's part of the problem with zach wilson is the rest of the people young players around him developed quicker than he did they can't go back to another young quarterback it has to be a veteran and now it's it's Aaron Rodgers or bust. Like they have to go get a offensive lineman. And if they don't get Aaron Rodgers, if something happens and it falls apart with Aaron Rodgers, I I'm honestly would run it back with Zach Wilson before I went and drafted another quarterback in this draft. I'm I'm going to give the world the most. You can just clip clip this off, send it to the world at some point. Here's the way it's going to play out. Like or here's here's what I think is is most likely. Honestly, I don't think a trade gets done at the draft. And honestly. I don't think that's a big deal. At some point, we are this far into it. Green Bay can wait till after June 1st, which helps them financially. Exactly. They, they wait till that's, after, and that's the big thing right there. It uh, helps them financially if you wait after June 1st. Like, I understand that the Monday after the draft, get up will be absolutely, oh my God, what's happening? Nothing. If, they, if there's no trade at the draft, it just means it gets done after June 1st. I, Evan, I love it when you panic. I think you have no reason to panic. Aaron Rodgers will be your starting quarterback week one of the season. It just might not get done till June. I'm not panicked. Or, or it could be Will Levis, too, Evan. Oh, man. Uh, Harry, I'm not panicked. Don't do that to me. Would Will Levis <laughs> or Anthony Richardson scare you more at 13? Wow. Will Levis. Like, Anthony Richardson would actually excite me, like, because I think he could be a really good NFL quarterback. So I'd be excited at the prospect of Anthony Richardson, you know, in two years after Aaron Rodgers plays two years for the Jets and wins okay. two Super Bowls. Mm-hmm. Like, that'd be exciting. Um, but uh, Will Levis would probably scare me more. I- I'm just going to say, now that you've planted the seed in my head, uh, since we're going to be on air until, what, midnight uh, digitally during the draft, a quick turnaround to get back to this show the next day and the whole day on Friday is just going to be reaction to draft because, y'all, that's all we'll be paying attention to. I now need some sort of chaos to happen with the Jets because it fills three solid hours. Three solid hours of Jets chaos. Yes. Or the Raiders. Stop it, Devin. You just stop it, all right? I've had Ooh, enough. I've had Raiders. Enough, I've had enough years of this. Enough years. This is the year the Raiders don't shock and disappoint me. Speaking of shocking and disappointing, one of the biggest stars in the NBA was exactly that and it may cost his team their spot in the postseason we'll tell you about it next Fitz and Harry on ESPN radio Fitz and Harry the podcast One, two, three. 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 Three is a magic move. He is so valuable to their basketball team. 
in a spot in which they have not shined this season fits on the defensive end. So if you have a guy like Draymond, who is a defensive player, that's what he is first. He's a defensive stopper. I understand he initiates offense on the other end, but he's not a scorer. He's a defensive guy. You have to be on the floor. Otherwise, you're hurting your basketball team and putting them in compromisable situations. You cannot have that. I know Steve Kerr understands that you cannot have that. But for Draymond, he has to start understanding how valuable he is to his teams. And I understand he probably knows that. But it's just another level that you have to take it in at so you don't hurt your team in those regards. Three hours later. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app. Sirius XM Channel 80. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz. Draymond was on the walkthrough. It just happened to be over a person, right? That's the problem. Like, he was just, you know, he was just out there getting his steps in. His Apple Watch said you need to get up and get more steps. He did. All kidding aside, Draymond Green ejected uh, from the Game 2 loss for Golden State. And it puts Golden State in a really difficult situation because, Harry, uh, there's a lot of conversation happening today. Some of it here, all over the place. People are talking about how long can the Warriors deal with this sort of behavior from uh, Draymond and knowing that Draymond's going to be a free agent at the end of the season, what's it mean for their future? I, I just... I think the one thing we have to remember in context to this is it's not like there's a less problematic version of Draymond just sitting there on the sidelines that can easily be picked up. Part of the reason that the Warriors will have, so far to this point, dealt with the things that come with Draymond all the time is because when he plays, he's one of the best in the world at what he does, and they are a better team because of it. So talent is a reason that you just sort of deal with the other things that are happening, and he has tons of that. If there was a simpler way for them to just simply find, you know, like if they could just go out there and get a really nice guy that could play all the same ways that Draymond plays within his emotions, uh, that, that's a beautiful thing, but it's oversimplified in my mind. Yeah, and he brings a sense of tenacity and edgeness to this basketball team that I think – you know, when they started winning championships, it greatly needed. Now, I think at this juncture in his career and as he gets older, I think you, you there needs to be a better understanding on how to project certain things, but also how to stay on the basketball court because you're valuable to your team. But I just think you look at all the four championships that, that, they, that they've won and, you know, six NBA final appearances in the last eight years – a lot of that is because of Draymond. You can't ignore that simple fact. You talk about small ball. This team likes to go small, but it's because Draymond Green can guard one through five, right? You can't do that if you don't have a player like Draymond Green. And we also seen in the game of the night versus the Kings how valuable he is because Kayvon Looney can't switch out on screens and guard a small or a point guard and try to stop them from scoring the basketball at will. So we just got the proof in the pudding in those regards, when it, when it comes to Draymond Green and what he means to his basketball team. So it, it's not a lot of guys just sitting, you know, on a branch like apples are sitting on trees when you want to go pick an apple. It's not many of them sitting, sitting up there like Draymond. So you have to be very cautious and wise with, you know, with your decision making moving forward with Draymond Green. Now, I'll tell you this. I know Bob Myers, what they really want, they would love for Jonathan Kaminga to be able to become a guy like Draymond Green, but he has better offensive skills. I don't know if that's going to happen because I was always of the mindset, 
You can't teach certain certain things. You can't teach edginess. You can't teach tenacity. You can't teach certain a certain mindset that you need to have when you're competitive and playing sports. Either you have it or you don't. Draymond Green does. A lot of other people just do not. Well, and, and think about it, I know ifs, but think about if social media had existed in the early to mid '90s. What would we say constantly if we lived in the same exact media cycle and social media about Dennis Rodman all the time? There would be this constant question. Like when you watch the Last Dance uh, uh, documentary and find out that Rodman just disappears in the middle of a season to go to Vegas for a few days. And some of the WWE documentaries where they talk about the fact that he decided in the middle of a season at one point he might just want to be a pro wrestler. And Phil Jackson was like, okay, if you want, if you need some time away, you need some time away. Like they could live sort of insulated that way back then. You can't do that now. Like I, just because Draymond is an, in some ways a pain in the butt – you also got to realize that you take the good, you'll take the bad because the good is so good. When the juice is no longer worth the squeeze, you have a total different conversation. But it's not like there's a viable replacement to what he brings to this team right now. So they're going to continue to run it back because, frankly, it gives them the best chance at a championship. It's what you take. It's like he's out there doing stupid things on the court, but he's not out there breaking the law. He's not out there doing awful things as a human being. He's just lets his emotion get the best of him, and that's just what you have to do. I think you just have to sign off on that if you have Draymond as your teammate. Well, I'm going to see what's going to transpire next year because Draymond Green has an opportunity to opt out of his contract, right? He has a player option. So is he going to opt out of his contract because he wants a bigger deal, or is he going to opt out because he wants to go somewhere else free agency-wise? So that's after this season, that's going to be the big thing when it comes to the Warriors. Well, we still don't have an answer from Adam Silver or the NBA. It's been mostly silent today. They did say they would continue to analyze it throughout the course of the day. We've heard nothing as to what the punishment will be, could be. We don't know if it's no additional punishment for Draymond. We don't know if they're going to turn around and suspend him. We have no idea. And until we know that, we can't don't know Don't do it, Adam scope. Silver. Do don't it, do Adam. It. Do it, Adam Silver. You know who will tell you when it happens? Kenny and Carlin. Check them out next. Thanks for hanging out with Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio. You've been listening to the Fitz and Harry Podcast. You can listen to the guys live weekdays from noon to 3 Eastern on ESPN Radio. And you can watch on the ESPN app.